This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 111 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Zack Snyder's 2009 film, Watchmen. So Luke, this is a controversial one. This is one that I feel like a lot of people think about when they think of adaptations and like, because it it is very divisive. I feel like it splits people. Yeah, good point. I think this is going to be one where pretty much no matter what we say in this episode, we are going to have people vehemently disagreeing with us <laughs> one way or another. And it's hard to predict because I agree, this seems like all over the place. When, when, when I've talked to people about this movie, my own feelings about this movie have changed over time in some ways. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting adaptation and uh, definitely excited to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, it will probably uh, stir the pot a little. I yeah. imagine with our listeners. Well, I think just in adapting it, you're 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 never going to please everybody with this. You can never, even if they did all of the things that we are going to mention, whether it was good or bad things that we would have changed or had the same. Even if they did everything perfectly for us, someone else would disagree. This is just one of those projects that I don't think you could ever have everyone happy with. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. And uh, my experience, as I alluded to earlier, my experience has kind of changed with this movie and watching it this time after reading the graphic novel was night and day different for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I was blown away by how different it was. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing uh, in retrospect, because I watched it the first time knowing nothing about the graphic novel. Right. And, uh, I, sympathize with people who who maybe did not connect with this movie because they had no uh previous knowledge of of the source material because i always felt kind of like that i thought it was just okay i don't really get why you know what's the big deal is and uh, i watched it with my wife and she hated it she thought it was boring she didn't connect with any of the characters she kept asking me like why do i care about this what's the point and uh you know, even after me kind of like setting the stage and talking to her about like what the graphic novel was. So it's, and like, I sympathize with that. You know what I mean? Because I think this was a movie designed to please graphic novel fans and whether or not it fully succeeded in that we can talk about. But um, in a lot of ways, I think it was, it, it alienated a lot of people who didn't know the source material. Well, it's funny because I I found myself this time thinking like who was this movie for, right? Like if you're if you're producing a film and making it, you're like what's my audience? Who am I speaking to specifically? And it does feel like it was made for the for the graphic novel readers. It's very long. Yeah. It really takes its time to like show some things that were you know, time was taken out of in the in the graphic novel, but at the same time I know for a fact there were decisions that were made that did not make graphic novel fan, like fans of the graphic novel happy. So yeah. it's like, who who are you trying to please here? I think it's like maybe maybe splitting it and trying to please a broad audience and also the comic audience may have yeah. led to some of this stuff. But it's really interesting because I so I, I want to know your history with it as well. But I the when I first saw Watchmen, I hadn't read the graphic novel, and then I and then I read the graphic novel after seeing it, and then eventually I watched the the film again. 
the first time I watched it, did not like the movie. Thought that it really just didn't have anything going for it. And I don't know if it was like where I was at personally, um, but I knew everyone said how good the and how good the graphic novel was. So I was like, I have to figure out why it's so good. So I went and read the graphic novel and then watched the movie again and enjoyed it a lot more actually. Um, but I think now I'm I'm so split. It's crazy because I do think that I enjoy watching this movie, but there are just a couple of decisions that were made that that made it so frustrating. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like you're you're maybe a little bit more advanced in your in your progression than me because essentially I saw it when it came out in theaters. Um, I remember the people I was with were very split on it. I think a few people really liked it. A few people really really hated it. I was more in the middle of the road. Like there were things I liked, things I didn't like. Thought it was okay. Kind of forgot about it. And then honestly, I think I've seen pieces of it since, but never actually sat down and watched the entire three hour director's a cut director's cut like I did like I did this time. Oh, that's also good to mention as well as like like you said, I, I saw it in the theaters as well. And the theatrical version versus the version that we actually watched this time is the director's cut. So, yeah, you know, different. having it's it is different. Yeah, it, well, I mean, and that's that is a good point. But uh, this time, having read the novel last week and 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 talking about it and analyzing it, um, my appreciation for the novel is through the roof. Like I uh, graphic novel, I I loved it. Um, I hope you'll go back and listen to our previous episode if you haven't already. We had on uh, Spoonbender's author Daryl Gregory come on. He he talked with us about Watchmen and his experience with it, and uh, I just had a blast covering that. And so I was going. I went into this movie excited for the material, and sure enough it was thrilling to see a lot of this stuff on screen. And I, and I felt uh, like all these like moments of, Oh, look at that. That's just out of the comic. Look at this. It's like visually just right. And like, there were so many times that they tried to match things perfectly. And, and for the most part that all worked really well. And so I enjoyed the experience of watching the entire film um, in a way that I didn't the first time. And, and mainly it was for those moments of like, Oh, look how he captured this and look at what he did here. And a lot of that was really cool. Yeah. I just it, it I think everyone would say that Zack Snyder did pull the comic book panels and put them on screen. And yep. and and I mean, he said it himself, like he he's his storyboards were literally the graphic novel. Like like he was like, I want to frame the shot exactly like this. I want it to progress just like this. And, you know, things yep. were taken out. Things were changed in order to have the pace. You know, it still, I think, took it took its time. But ultimately, this story was always made to be a miniseries. It was always made to be very long form. And I feel like with a two and a half hour, three hour movie that we just watched and then into another cut that they have as well, that's even what's well beyond that, the ultimate cut. You're talking about like it is a miniseries at that point and to, to sit through it as one episode, to think of it as one full feature length thing, um, it it. it I don't know. I think it's just it's going to play differently to an audience because there's something about watching a miniseries and having a conclusion to each chapter in that miniseries versus like and the same thing with the graphic novel, the conclusion to each chapter of the novel of the each issue of this graphic novel. Um, and then to have it pl- all play out in real time in front of you with no no sort of breaks and no sort of time to think about it and reflect, I think does hurt the pacing of the film. But if you are a comic book fan and you, you're a fan of this material, you're going to be like, oh, my, like you're saying, like, oh, my God, everything is com- completely f- pulled from the page onto the screen and it looks incredible. No, I completely agree with that. And and I had a, the note that this comic came out across 12 issues over the course of a year uh, coming out monthly, uh, approximately. And that is how, in my opinion, this should have been done. It should have been 12 episodes 
uh, at the minimum six episodes. Maybe you combine two issues per, right? And those are your that's your building blocks. You look at the issue because it's a self-contained story to some extent. It usually had some sort of plot arc to it that wrapped up by the end of the issue. And if you would have done that, you could have introduced these characters step by step. You could have introduced their backstory step by step. You wouldn't have lost people because I there's so many characters. They each have their own character arc, and there's so much plot all happening in a condensed amount of time. It's just too big. Yeah. And I think this is a clear example of of, of, a no, of a novel or a work that really should have been in a different form. It shouldn't have been a movie. It should have been a series, whether yeah. that's like a limited series or a TV series, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the first missteps. I, I, I grant that maybe you wouldn't get the uh, the funding that you got for, for the film if you had done a TV thing. Um, so things maybe wouldn't have looked as good. Um, but I think the story would have been better served just in a longer form. Well, I mean, and, and like in the version that we watched, the Tales of the Black Freighter isn't in it, the director's cut. Um, but they also shot, it's an animated film that they have. It's Tales of the Black Freighter. I think in the ultimate cut, what they do is they cut in Tales of the Black Freighter into the movie that we just watched. So yeah. like... Not a good idea. I, I mean, you're making the movie even longer. And like as yeah. much as I want that to be in there because it was so important to the story of the of the graphic novel, just think of me thinking of it in an episode format. Like you can easily thread that kind of stuff in and maybe and like like think of all the history that's built into the graphic novel. We um, we get it all as like montages almost and like and like yep. people talking about the history, which I think is great for the fans, the people who love the backstory and know all the backstory going in. But for, for other people, it's just like, holy shit, what is happening in this month? And as cool yeah. as that montage is in the very beginning, it's super, super cool. I think it's great. Um, it, how hard is that for somebody to follow if you don't understand what's yeah. going on? So I agree that that opening montage uh, is really it's really good. I, it's actually one of my favorite moments. But um, I also agree that it, it it's it's dumping a lot of information on you, right? And you don't really know why it's important and how it connects to what you just saw in the opening scene with the comedian. But before we get into that, I actually want to touch on that Black Freighter stuff, because I think that highlights an, a problem with this adaptation that um, I was noticing. Now, he doesn't put the Black Freighter into it, which I think is a smart decision not to. It's interesting that it's in this ultimate version. I think that's a misstep. But the reason being that the Black Freighter in the comic is a comic in a comic. So it is a meta conversation about the art form that you are experiencing. If you take a comic and you translate it into a cartoon and you put a cartoon in a in a live action film, you're 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 removing steps of uh, of art forms, right? You're, you're you're distancing things. You're removing context too. So it's like historical historical comic context would would then turn into historical cartoon context. So you'd be yeah, thinking about which is way like, different. Yeah, so it just doesn't work. It's an instance where you look at something on the surface and say, oh, I'm just going to do the same thing that was in the comic, but you have to recognize that's not going to work the same way because of the differences in art form. And the way that that was talking in a meta way about what it is to be a comic and, and, and all that stuff, right? You're not going to get that same effect. It's also like how comics reflect our world and how the comic was reflecting that world. But I do think in terms of like, reflecting the actual plot and story in Watchmen, it would still be cool to get some of that Black Freighter stuff just to kind of put context towards like the in the end, Ozymandias's, um, you know, plot is or his like situation is similar to the sailor who's who's isolated on it, like on his own and then commits all these atrocities and then ultimately is left alone again because he's ostracized by humanity. I think it is 
certainly interesting in the same way that it worked in the graphic novel, but I just don't believe it fits in this movie. And I think the right. decision to cut it was a right one. I think you can include it as a bonus feature on your on your Blu-ray. <laughs> and if someone wants yes. to go watch the animated film you made, they can go do that. And and you know what I mean? They might love it. But I just don't think it should be in the actual movie that people are in the theater to watch, right? right. Um, but th- I wanted to tie this back to a general idea I wanted to explore with this adaptation. So I was watching a YouTube video earlier this week about adaptations. Um, I think it was an older video by Lindsay Ellis, which I think you're, you're familiar with who she is. Um, yeah, and great. in that video, she quoted a, uh, I believe a critic who, who said this. This is critic Thomas Leach. The book will always be better than any adaptation because it is always better at being itself. So... I want to I I explore that a little bit. I think it's a very interesting quote. Um, I don't know that it's always true, but I, I think the sentiment behind it is a good one. The mm-hmm. idea that when something is first and it's the, it's the originator and it is itself, um, often when you have an imitation come after as an adaptation, it's how, how can it be better than the thing that it's imitating, right? Like how it's never going to be as good as the thing because the thing is authentically itself. And I think that whether or not that applies to all adaptations, I think it does apply to this one. Because to me, Zack Snyder was trying to make a very authentic, almost slavishly so, uh, adaptation of this graphic novel. He made some changes, but in general, it was very, very close. And in doing that, I think it's going to fail because the graphic novel is just always going to be the best version of that of that story. If you know what I mean, and 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 where this video goes is it goes on to talk about how when you make an adaptation, it needs to change for the new form that it's in, right? And that's the way to, I think to get around this is you kind of invent a new thing in the shape of the original thing, but you make it its own. You 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 use the the language of the medium that you're now using instead of the written word. You're now using film as a language, and you embrace all of that, and you try and do something different. And so a lot of our favorite adaptations are like that, right? Where we've talked right. about it, it's, it rises above in a certain way. So yeah, I just, yeah. What's your thoughts on that and, and how it applies to this movie? This is, this is ultimately where I land with this stuff. So obviously in a, in a, in a legendary instance of Watchmen, which is universally basically known as the greatest gra- graphic novel of all time. Yes, it's going to be, it, you, it, you probably will never have an adaptation that's better than that. But I would also, I would also pose certain projects that we've done like Die Hard where we get like nothing lasts forever. And then that's just like a kind of a read it and throw it away type book. And in, in terms of like, it's a it's a quick thriller that like the, you know, there's not a ton of, of subtext. There's not a ton of things going on underneath it. And then you can you can play with it and change it. Like you said, make it something new. But at the same time, I don't see when I look at an adaptation, I don't see adaptation as like copying exactly what is in the text like a good adaptation doesn't necessarily mean like every single plot point has been completely recreated it's more the intention so if you can take the intention of the original art and and advance it and enhance it i think there is there you can do that in a film and you can make an original source material enhanced because you're you're building on the the foundation of something great and you can you can you know create something new and different like you're saying um, but ultimately it's like, obviously it's very hard when, when somebody puts, when something like this comes along and it's very clearly like breaking through a medium and it's like making, making a generation of people fall in love with comics and it's like a revolutionary story. It, yeah. It, you're probably never going to make an adaptation that's better than it. 
Well, and and this is, I think, a uh, endorsement for adaptations that change things. And it's not saying that changing things will always be better. Like you, you talked about Die Hard. That took a book that was a crime novel, like a kind of a gritty crime no- novel about an old, an aging guy and his relationship with his family and, 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 you know, maybe a little more than that. And it turned it instead into an action movie starring starring a likable hero who quips jokes and, you know what I mean? So, like, it changed the story fundamentally. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't this, like, it wasn't nothing lasts forever. We're making it and we're putting it into a movie. It was a different thing, right? And I right. think that sometimes it's a, it's a it's a definitely a high risk high reward situation. But um, when you're when you're changing something to a film, reimagining it can be the path to to having success. And and I don't know. It's interesting because I felt like Zack Snyder really here tried to be as authentic to the source material as possible. It was a love letter to the source material in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but um, it failed to I think translate to the movie perfectly um, because in some ways how uh, sort of beholden to the source material that he was. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think the reason that this movie didn't do as well as it could have done or in terms of just like being beloved to, to people, I don't think it was the fact that he'd adapted it so closely. I think it's, I think it honestly comes fundamentally down to not completely understanding the intention of what the book was trying to get across because he took the characters that are supposed to be like flawed humans and they're supposed to be the same as everyone else, but they just have something in them that makes them dress up and go fight crime and, and like, you know, try to push society in ways that they see as like just ways. I think that, that giving them actually enhanced powers, I think puts them above everyone that they're fighting against in this story. Right. So like everybody that they go up against are normal humans and they're just punching the shit out of them. And it's like they're 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 butter to them. They're they're cutting through them like butter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is like a, a pretty large misstep in terms of getting across what the the graphic novel was about. Was just that like these it was specifically about humans and being human. Right. No, I mean, and I get that. Um, I I think we're. I mean, honestly, this is like I don't know. I feel like this is very theoretical stuff we're talking about here. And like and and and. I, I'm also not saying that like philosophically, I believe that this is how adaptation should go and this is how adaptation shouldn't go. And it's just more that like, I think this is an example that backs up some of these feelings that uh, was evoked by this quote itself, where it was like, it was like, yeah, if you're going to try and reproduce something on, on screen in a different art form, but try and keep it as authentic as possible, the things that get lost in translation are always going to hold you back. And in my opinion, some of that is what you're talking about. Like he tried to, he translated it into a movie that needed action, right? So he was trying to appeal to that side of the the form he thought. And and some of this stuff, it just gets it gets muddied in the translation. And it almost would have been better than something that Daryl talked about when he was with us to try something wholly different and like set it in a different time period and and take more license. And maybe you'll miss, and maybe uh, people will be upset. But in some ways, you also might succeed. And, and that's one of the things that we, you know, maybe this is too early to talk about this, but I'm excited for the new TV show because that's what it's doing. It's going somewhere new with the story. And I'm really excited to see what a vision like Dam- Damon Lindelof has brings to this world and this story. So and I know it's not a true adaptation, but but still, you know what I mean? Right. 
I don't want it to seem like I don't agree with what you're saying either, though, because I feel like very clearly um, it is the case a lot of the time. Like the, the source material is like it is tough to, to adapt it and to make it better. You can make a serviceable adaptation, but it's in, in terms of eclipsing the original material is going to be hard to do. Yeah, basically across the board. Um, so, yeah, I do agree with that. And I, I also agree that this I mean, I'm so excited for the show because I, I really feel like the intention is being thought of and kind of what Watchmen meant to Cold War era America and like what 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 it meant to the world at that point for that story to come out and sort of like worrying about, uh, you know, nuclear deterrence and like, is is there going to be some sort of apocalypse in, like somewhere nearby? And seeing the trailers for this new new show coming out, it's very clearly going to be grounded in race relations and sort of like um, anonymity and like how you can be, you don't have, you don't have to, you can say things without necessarily having to show your face and this kind of thing. Well, so. And masked vigilantes is sort of a real thing going on right now. If you look at um, a lot of the protests that are going on, right? Like you have masks on both sides, you have people fighting in the streets and how do we feel about that? And right. is there a time in which that's appropriate or is it always inappropriate? And I hope that this, that this show explores that. And I think they th taking it and reconceptualizing it for our current moment in time, I, I, I think is really a cool idea. But let's let's focus back on this movie, because um, there are a couple things that I thought it was interesting, like some of the notable changes that were made um, and some of it um, I don't know if I agree with. And mm -hmm. one of them is the sort of look that the movie has. And it's 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 become a very sort of like a staple of Zack Snyder. And that's this dark look that he loves and um, I was comparing it like I, I pulled the, the comic out after watching it and showed my wife like compare like when when uh, Dr. Manhattan is on Mars or compare how this looks when they're walking through the streets of New York. Well, like Rorschach constantly like with the neon lights and like yeah. reflecting off of water and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, very it's bright and, and the colors are sort of saturated in a way. Um, the, the, the Martian landscape really pops and and. Um, instead we get all the colors are subdued. Everything is sort of ca cast in this shadow. I, you know, I like a good, a good dark movie as much as anyone. Like I think seven looks beautiful and dark, right. And it's appropriate for that material. But in this movie, I wanted some of that lightness back and, and it doesn't make the story less grim and dark in, in its own sense, the story, the, the, what you're actually getting, but the look of it doesn't have to be so, um, sort of monotone um, because I think it actually robs some of the power out of some of these scenes a little bit. Yeah, I, I want to put it in context of when it was coming out as well. So like I'd like to talk about Zack Snyder in a second, but I agree yeah. with you this. that So, you know, he's matching these shots, but there's a there is that like desaturation, desaturation. There's like the the lack of color, the darkness. And he's trying to show the underbelly of society. But there's part of what I think Alan Moore and, and Gibbons were trying to do is show like even in a world where there is color and even in a world where like like it doesn't have to be it, it doesn't have to be hidden and feel like underbelly and and like like very like grim and dark and all these things it can be like um everyday situations that are just like completely devoid of humanity even though that seems like an everyday thing uh so uh, let's let's jump back because i want to talk about Zack snyder the filmmaker yeah um he is an american film director, producer, and screenwriter. He made his feature film debut in 2004 with a remake of the 1978 horror film Dawn of the Dead. 
Since then, he has done a number of comic book and superhero films, including 300, Watchmen, Superman, which is Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League. There are other movies in there that we, we can talk about here and there, but you know, we've kind of seen, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Zack Snyder at this point. And a lot's been said about Zack Snyder. And and I kind of yeah. want to know, you've said a little bit of like what you felt in this movie, but just like overall with like cultural context, like what you've seen people say and like your own opinion of the movies that you've seen of his, like how, how do you feel about him? And maybe start with like the, because I, I know you said that you've seen uh, Dawn of the Dead, maybe start there. Yeah, you know, and I think... I think I, I liked Dawn of the Dead okay. Um, I remember not being in love with it, but but finding it entertaining. Um, he really became a figure that I took note of during uh, when 300 came out. Um, that was a movie that also adapted from a comic, right? Like a Frank Miller comic is my understanding. Um, obviously based off of true events, but, but more adapted from the comic itself. And uh, I mean, that's a stylish action film that was fun and it hit me at the time in my life where I thought it was really super cool. And um, I think by modern standards, you look back at it and it's pretty problematic. Um, there's there's definitely some racism built baked into it, some sexism, too. Um, although, you know, you, you know, Spartan culture, you know, women were powerful in certain ways. So there it's 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 a mixed bag, I, I guess I would say, if I'm being gracious. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it's a fun movie visually. And I remember being struck by the vision that da- Zack Snyder had for these moments in in movies and these these just beautiful um, cinematic moments that you'll never forget. Like I'll never forget the look of the uh, the arrows of the Persian army blotting out the sun in 300, and you'll never forget the guy kicking the other guy into the well. Like there's things that you just you've seen in a Zack Snyder movie that you'll never forget. And there are moments like that in this movie as well. And, and I have to give him credit for that because that's not, that's not something you can just do easily. Right? Like there's so many movies that are, that I will forget everything that happened in the movie. I'll I'll remember that I saw it, but I won't be able to like remember a scene Um, that happens to me. And that doesn't happen with Zack Snyder movies in general, because there are iconic moments. Um, But I, uh, Beyond that, it, it I think his style started to wear on me over time, and it started to becoming like it wasn't evolving enough, and I wanted to see more coming from him in later movies. Um, and I know we're not talking about his entire filmography here, we're talking about Watchmen. And here, I think this is actually one of the better better moments for his look, his style, um, and, and I, don't, I don't think that that is what holds him back here in general. Um, I think it's more the approach to the adaptation, in my opinion. But, you know, I don't know. That That's general kind of random shit I'm thinking of here. Stream of thought. What's what's your thoughts on Zack Snyder and, and his movie making? So, yeah, I mean, just to start it where where he started, I, I saw Dawn of the Dead and really liked it when it came out. I, okay. I remember like it, it really hit me at the perfect time. Um, and, and then rolling into 300, I remember seeing 300 in theaters and just being like, this is like, you know, this is a new voice. This is like a different sort of style. And like you say, I mean, it hit me at the perfect time for that as well, because it was just like, I was, you know, a young teenager and I just, it was the coolest thing. It was like crazy action. And, you know, I wasn't really digging that deeply into like what, what all was going on there. But, um, but like you talked about, there's that there's like a scene like he he he's sort of made a style to himself. There's like this the slow mo that he's great at, and the sort of like um, the, I'll never forget the scene where like Leonidas is like pushing with all the other Spartans, and there it's like this like side tracking shot, and uh, and like it's just like it's sped up and slowed down and sped up right. and slowed down, and it's like it's like punching in and pulling out, and like that is so that is Zack Snyder. 
And in terms of like vision, I think that it's very clear that he has it. Like he can see what looks good on film and like he has a certain kinetic nature to his filmmaking. Um, and then we start moving into Watchmen. And I remember, like I said, I saw Watchmen and I just really didn't like it the first time I saw it. And I, I you know, I, I think more than anything, it was that I didn't understand all the context of what was trying to be said in the movie. And then, like I said, I went and read the comic and then came back to it and appreciated it a lot more. Uh, but I think that Watchmen marks a certain amount of... Um, it's, a, it's a great moment for Zack Snyder to show kind of his strengths and his weaknesses. Because his strengths are when given material, when given these like epic moments and characters, he can he can do a lot with them. But I think his some of his weaknesses come about when when there's not a full 100 percent understanding of the material. And I think we see that carry over into a superhero stuff because I like, you know, I was a big comic book guy. And so pushing into the DC stuff, I think that as we move forward, we don't have to fully get into all of it, but I just think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding for a lot of those characters in, in a lot of his movies. So it's like Superman was turned into like this. Everyone's talked about it. I don't want to keep parroting things that people have said before, but basically like that's never the vibe. That's never the tone for Superman. Like you can try to do that, but it's like, if you're doing that, you're telling a specific type of Superman story. Well, explain that a little, just a little bit more. What you, what you, what you mean? So, there. so like Superman, in the way that, in the way that people feel about Captain America right now, they, like Superman should be a symbol that people strive for. Superman should be this character that like stands their ground and like is a hope that people look at, never to be feared, more to be like, like just like he's a savior basically, and and you know people play with that a lot, and I think that's makes some of the most interesting superhero Superman stories, but specifically like he represents hope and like. That movie does not speak hope. It, it mostly speaks like You're talking about dark, Man of Steel. Man of Steel, yeah, dark yeah. action, um, sort of a lot of what we saw with Watchmen, and maybe influenced by a lot of what we saw in Dark Knight. I was going to say, with, I, I think he might be in. Oh yeah, that's interesting too. The Christopher Nolan. I thought you were going to say influenced by Watchmen because I see uh, traces of him, uh, his his the way he feels about Doctor Manhattan translating over into the superman stuff because we talked about in the in the comics how dr manhattan is sort of the superman character of the watchman universe and i wonder if that, if that affected it at all if he if he had sort of dr manhattan in his mind at all with any of the superman right. stuff so i mean this kind of gets back into some of the stuff i was saying in our episode with dale gregory but like this sort of idea because then i'm shooting to batman with batman v superman um like there's there's just this misunderstanding i feel like he thinks that that Batman is Rorschach in some ways. I, th I think that he thinks like Batman is Ro like, that's the edgy version of Rorschach that he want the edgy version of Batman that he would like to portray. But getting back to what I said in the episode was, um, I think that there's some mis misinterpretation that happens. Like, so, so whereas I think very clearly in Alan Moore's book, did the, the comic book, the, the graphic novel doesn't love these characters. They are characters in the novel, but it's not like, it's not glorifying any of it. Right. It's just showing it as it's happening. And I think what happens here with Watchmen and what happens with Batman v Superman and Man of Steel a lot is this like glorification of violence sometimes and this glorification of of like like these like with Superman and Batman and things like that. They're supposed to be badass and they're supposed to be cool and somebody that like you're identifying with or somebody that you're like you're like, oh, my gosh, that's somebody to idolize. Um, and then you're taking like, that character like Batman, for instance, and turning him into like a Rorschach character, which very specifically Rorschach is not supposed to be somebody that you idolize because he's so extreme, because he's so um, on his own in a way that's like he could become an unhinged or he could be dangerous to to the point that like it's his. And, you know, Batman could be seen as this way as well. But I think there's a distinction to be made between 
what Alan Moore was trying to do and what typically Batman and Superman are trying to do. So when you get into Batman being a Rorschach character or Rorschach being like an idolized version of what Rorschach should be, whereas he should be extremist and like, you know, very cool and compelling character, not someone you should idolize. Whereas this film, I think, is shot in ways and is kind of placed the characters in certain situations with the slow-mo and the cool punching and like the really cool action scenes. And and uh, it just feels to me like there's some misinterpretation with like what that was supposed to mean. And I think like Rorschach turns into a character that people are like, that's a cool character. I like that character. I want to like imitate that character if you're not understanding exactly what's being said. Um, so I think it's just, I guess that's my, my long way of saying there's like a misinterpretation with a lot of the characters that goes on, um, moving forward. But that's not to say, I I also see people who are like, you know, either DC haters or really big DC fans who were, who will say like, um, I guess big DC fans wouldn't say this, but, um, like there's this thing that like people think Zack Snyder is just like dumb guy and he just like is a bad director in general. And I don't really like that idea because I don't think that. I don't think you can put the stuff on screen that he does and be a bad director. Clearly he has vision. Clearly he can, he can get these things to look incredible and, and he's had good movies. So I think that I'm not a huge fan of when, when, you know, there's a lot of like really passionate people about Zack Snyder on both sides that are like really, really for him. And like they they scream it from the mountaintop. So I I don't know. He's very polarizing and I'm sure like I, people won't agree with some of the stuff that I've been saying, but I just would, I would love to see, uh, I'm really excited to see some of the D- these DC films not necessarily influenced by Zack Snyder stuff and maybe get into more of like, you know, the new Batman film that's going to be coming out with Robert Pattinson has Matt Reeves as, as the director and like they're getting a lot of great actors around them. And I think that it's like getting back to the greatest detective, world's greatest detective. So I th- I'm really excited to see that stuff. Let's let's move back into the Zack Snyder stuff here. I also feel like he has a he has some stuff with like over sexualizing women in, in a lot of his movies. And I think that this movie has some of that as well, whether it was the intention that was also because I think there was a little bit of that with Alan Moore and, and Gibbons with their story. There was like kind of treating these female characters as like sex is their primary motivation in this story. So, you know, I guess it's it's there on in both adaptations. But I think that right. uh, it's it's notable because there are other movies where where that's very much in keeping with some of the the, the female characters that Zack Snyder has. So uh, there's a lot there for me to react to. <laughs> um, I'm going to go back and, and talk a little bit about your, your misinterpretation comments. Um, I think it's interesting, right? Because we're talking about the relationship between the consumer and, you know, the viewer and the thing that they're experiencing. And I, I don't know. I guess I feel a little uncomfortable saying people are misinterpreting things because by the nature of art, like you're allowed to interpret it however you want. Um, And so if someone looks at Rorschach and wants to idolize them, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's up to them. It's like, who am I to tell them that they can't do that? Um, But what I think backs up what you're saying. And I think what is, what is lacking in this movie is that we talked about it last week. Every character has their own worldview and their own philosophy and their own morality. And, in the graphic novels, each of those viewpoints is presented and then we get like a counter viewpoint and it gets analyzed and it gets uh, questioned by other characters and it, and there are flaws that are pointed out every time. And it felt to me like a, that was lacking in some of this stuff. Like, like you said, like you get Rorschach being the badass and you get him um, 
wrecking people and and murdering people and and being um this sort of like over the top vigilante um and you get a little bit of maybe pushback from night owl uh here and there but for the most part you don't get a lot of it and in in his interactions with the shrink um we see we i feel like he's he's portrayed as like silly like oh you know he can't even he's like oh i just can't help him and 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 i felt like there was more nuance to the to those scenes in the graphic novel where he was pointing out things that were maybe true about about rorschach's worldview that didn't work and it's just the, some of that nuance is gone and so right. because of that the the material you're seeing and the art that you're getting doesn't contain within it um, alter, uh, alternating viewpoints and, and, and like point counterpoint. Um, and instead we get a lot of like Rorschach's awesome. Just go with it. We get, you know, it's just like different thing, different things like that, where, where, where I think in particular that character, I would have liked to see some more of the other side of like, maybe the things he's doing are not great. Um, and, and have that present in the film. And then it's up to you what, what you want to latch on to. Right. And I think we do get some of it in his journals when he's kind of like monologuing and, and, and narrating the, some of the scenes we hear, like what how he thinks about certain types of people and the kinds of things that he. But that's only a problem if you don't agree with it. Right. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. And, <laughs> yeah. and ultimately, yeah, if you if you if you're. Yeah, I guess that's true. But that that's what I'm trying to say is like, um, I just think it's tough in terms of these two, these two specific things, which is superheroes typically are like just for the most part and people see them as as this an idol as i've been saying and then and then in this situation clearly rorschach's a cool character clearly there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on but like you say we almost get less of sort of his bias as well because we start to yeah. see some unhinging in the book more i feel like we yep. start to see like he he is biased and he is making decisions based on what he what helps or or you know what he feels in the current moment uh, so it's not like he, he says like, I'll never falter even in the face of the apocalypse and all this stuff is really cool. And like that idea that he's willing to, to pursue his sense of justice to that, to that point is really cool. But at the same time, it, he doesn't stick to that. So he's not an honest character and he's not like, you know, it's like, he's not to be taken at face value when he, from the things that he says, because we see his actions and they don't necessarily reflect exactly what he's saying. What actions in particular are you saying don't reflect? that this the, from the comic book specifically um one of the scenes he finds the guy has pills or whatever right he finds right. that his old nemesis has pills and he's like too. and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna turn you in for this and he's like no no no, please don't turn me in i have can't i'm dealing with cancer treatment this and that if rorschach really did stand by everything he said with his sense of justice and everything the fact that he had illegal drugs he would turn him in but right. he doesn't because that's his own bias he makes an exception he makes a decision that doesn't go along with his creed right. specifically so he, 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 even he is a little bit of a hypocrite. That, I think that's a good point. Um, let's move past Rorschach a little bit and talk about some of these other characters. I, you know, actually I did notice while we're still talking Rorschach, the combination of him and Night Owl together as a unit really does represent Batman. It's like you yeah. have, you have Night Owl who represents like the gadgets and the sort of nerdiness and the money and the the intelligence of uh, in, in many ways of Batman, and then you have Rorschach, who is like the brutal, um, violent, uh, strict moral code, uh, creeping around in the night, um, doesn't have the gadgets but doesn't need them, 
um, ninja-like violence almost, um, even though they both have a little bit of that. But it's interesting how you put... You, I think it's very notable that those two characters are partners and that we see them traveling around together and working together to solve problems because mm-hmm. they are almost two halves of Batman. Yeah, and, and I will say that like some of those scenes really worked for me too. Like the, the scenes of them together and like knowing their history from the from the graphic novel and like kind of bringing that to the film for myself. Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't know if I've said it enough, but reading the graphic novel really does enhance this film. Clearly we've said really that. Does. But it really does to the point that I, I enjoy this film. Like I said, I, I think that... Which is funny because I feel like we've been almost exclusively critical. <laughs> right, which is why I'm trying to say this. is like I, I do think that there are, there is a lot to like about this film. I think yeah. that... I think it's a good watch and I think it's a, there's like great morality in there and there's sort of like like things that make you think and maybe it doesn't hit the mark that the that the graphic novel does and it, like that we're kind of pitting the two against each other at this point but as an experience doing both together i think is is really fun and yeah. like you know, there are decisions that i don't necessarily agree with but i think it's cool that this exists and we're able to see like a, a a filmed version of this yeah so there's a few just random moments i want to touch on in this movie um one was uh, although i don't think black freighter should have been included i love that we saw the guy selling the newspaper and the the boy reading them and yeah. we see them um, embrace when the, when the blast goes off and like just that little nod, like it, it's just a throwaway moment for most people. But if you've read the comic, you, you, you get that, why that's so cool. Right. Um, so that kind of stuff all works. That, that actually makes me think of another part that we've already talked, touched on a little bit, but the montage, um, with oh, yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan singing times are the time. Oh, the times are changing and everything. I love that montage. It's, I, it's I, I really just, good, man. Yeah. And like Bob Dylan, you put Bob Dylan in something and to speak to the soundtrack yeah, yeah. specifically in this, it's so great. And like Bob Dylan's one of like the greatest artists of all time. And, and it was awesome, man. And, and like to, to see that sort of like loss of innocence and everything we talked about that's built in, it is there. And if you wanted to freeze frame it and go like a little bit at a time, you could really figure out exactly what is being represented there. And I think it does a really good and efficient job, especially if you know what's going on. Otherwise, it can kind of fly by and it's it, it all happens really quickly. But well, and I think com- the comedian is an interesting character because in both the graphic novel and in the movie, he's so reprehensible. And I remember uh, my wife saying something like, this guy is terrible. And, and he is. But I remember saying, like, oh, he's a little bit morally gray. But then she was like, what? in what way? Like, everything he's done has been <laughs> awful. And right. it's true. It's and I think maybe there was a little more in the graphic novel. Or maybe I'm just reading into it. I, maybe the fact that he was going to reveal he was going to be a whistleblower. And that's why he got killed. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you give him maybe a little bit of credit for that. But she's right. Like, everything he does is terrible. So why do we care that he got murdered? Um, I don't know. I want to throw that to you. What did you well, think of, of that in the movie? And, 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 and is that a problem with the movie? Because I think that um, I think she started to disconnect a little bit when it became apparent that the guy who died like was a terrible person. Yeah. And I think but I think that's the point of the graphic novel, right? Like he's always right. supposed to be a, a, a horrible person anyway. But I think it's 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 the reason it's because we're interested in characters that are both light and dark. Right. So it's like yeah. people who struggle with these things. Um, he is clearly a piece of shit human being, like awful person. Uh, yeah. But there, you know, not everyone is a hundred percent evil. There, are, you know, there's humanity in in most people, and we start to see some of the humanity in in him. And like, he's clearly made some of the worst mistakes you can make. Uh, but I don't know. It's like the history with the with the group, maybe some of that um, built into the universe. And and like you say, like he, it does seem like he was he was kind of even though he'd been such a, a hand of the of the military for such a, l- a long time and always a follow orders type of person, the fact that he was flipping on his own moral, uh, you know, compass at that point and was willing to start to spread the word 
uh, it does seem like he was trying to do things that are good. Ultimately, I think he's still like, even if he was going to do something good, he's a piece of shit. But well, uh, and I, I think symbolically he's very interesting because to me, we talked, we touched on this last time, and I think this is very apparent here that Watchmen can be seen as sort of an indictment of the American dream and the American like ethos that we see. Well, they basically say that in the mo- in in both adaptation and and source material as and well. And it comes out of the mouth of the comedian, right? In one point particularly, he says the American came tr- the American dream came true. This is it. And in in some ways he he sort of embraces it and so he's reprehensible, but in other ways it seems like he's aware that the evil and the the terrible things he's doing is is sort of uh a reflection of society and a reflection of what he's being asked to do. And he's, he's being the sort of person that he thinks um, our society wants. And, and that's yeah. why to me, I, I, um, I describe him as sort of a dark captain America. And I think in that sense, that's what he is because he, he represents this like fascistic um, brutal side of the government that um, some people embrace. Well, he has like the same, he has the same sort of moral, moral uh, code that he lives by that Rorschach does. He just, it's just in a different situation. So like you, you could see Rorschach different in a different situation and upbringing, maybe being pushed in a direction like this. As well, well because- I think the difference to, for me is that Rorschach's morals are self-made, self-driven. Right. Whereas to me, the comedian is truly, he like, his is all coming from the top down. Like this is what right. the government wants. So I'm going to do it. This is what society expects so i'm gonna do it this is what i see work in in our world like we're crime fighters this is what we're supposed to do like i don't know like a lot of it is is to me like he's he's sort of shrugging off responsibility and laughing about it because he's like this is just what i was asked to do so it's all fair you know in the eyes of the law and that kind of gets into his thing about it's all a big joke it all like it's all like it's all bullshit um, I, I think it's interesting and notable that he was a, he's like a, an arm of the military and the government because it's like, um, what does that say about, you know, like, like heroes, people are, who are seen as heroes because they're, because they're following orders and yeah. because they're doing what needs to be done in certain situations. And, and I don't know, it's, it's obviously there's a, there's a big commentary being drawn there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did we see the scene where it looks like the comedian killed JFK in the graphic yes. novel or was that added? Oh no, I think it was implied though. I think it was implied. Like there was, there was some sort of, um, I don't think we get it directly, but we sort of get like, um, when we were realizing that he's been used for the government, uh, I think maybe in one of the, in one of the chapters after the, after the issue, you know what I mean? One of the, uh, like Hollis type things to add context to the world, the sort of after, stories i feel like it has something there's something maybe in one of those or something where it's kind of hinted at in the same way that we kind of it's kind of hinted at that i think the comedian killed hooded justice oh really yeah well and we get the implication that he also sort of like co- helped cover up watergate so that that didn't come out right. and so he in, in in that sense if you look at him as a figure that is sort of suppressing um like these are like JFK is a liberal figure, right? And um, the 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 cor- exposing the corruption of Nixon, who was a conservative president, right? And um, in a lot of ways, like he's this he's this like a uh, cudgel that is keeping down um, liberalism <laughs> in in America. And, and and it's interesting how this world, like everything, liberalism is equated with being bad, and it's equated with commies and and socialists and all this stuff, right? Um, and 
it, and like we were talking about in the graph in the graphic novel versus the movie, I feel like the graphic novel it sh- uses that and shows it to you. But the way that it's juxtaposed with everything else that's going on and a lot of the evils that we can clearly see in society, um, it's very apparent that it's saying, like, is this actually good? Because in many ways, this is the America that everybody wants and yeah, people I think-, think they want. But it's you can look at it and say something's wrong here. And and I think he was trying to do the same thing in the movie, but for whatever reason, maybe slightly less effective. Well, I will say that like Rorschach outwardly says things, uh, uh, you know, anti-liberal things as well about yeah. like sort of like and, and I think it's sort of like you're saying there's something built in with uh, like I, and I think for, for if what I understand is right. There's like um, Rorschach in some ways doesn't do anything or say anything to the comedian because he sees him as following his own moral code as well. Like he's a hero. He's a he's a he's a, a military man who's following orders and doing the things that need to be done. Um, in a society that's unjust and like left to their own devices, do, like is involved in like prostitution and murders and racketeering and all this stuff, and that's yeah. what that's how Rorschach sees the world. So he sees like any sort of order where people are following a certain code, I guess. To because I feel like there's sort of a kinship between the two that's like kind of unspoken. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into that. Hmm. Well, uh, let's move on from these characters. I think we've spent a lot of time on yeah. them. Let's talk about Doctor Manhattan. Because okay. uh, in some ways, it's I think it's some of the best stuff in the movie, um, and then there's also some not- notable differences. Um, what what was your what was your take on Doctor Manhattan in this movie? Really quickly, I did want to just uh, give us the opportunity. I thought that the the casting of Jackie Jackie Earl Haley was perfect for Rorschach, and I had heard I actually read that he uh, campaigned for the character. He wanted to he wanted to play the character so bad that he was campaigning and going around. I, I just thought that he was really well cast as Rorschach and the voice that he used is, is so fitting and it, it, I think it perfectly mirrored sort of the It's a little cheesy, for. but you think it's, so? it's I think it's a little over the top. But 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 it does work because Rorschach as a character is so extreme that you have to have this extreme character voice. Um yeah. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I, I think he was great. Like the cat. And in fact, I think casting across the board was great. Um, mm-hmm. And but I, I think there was one exception that I'm wasn't as big a fan of. And I wonder okay. uh, if if you had to we'll if you had to pick one that you weren't as big a fan of, who would you pick? I wasn't. So the, the only one that really struck me is as. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of wish that there was something deeper to the performance was was um, Silk Spectre. OK, interesting. That was not my choice. I, I, it's not that I thought that it was bad. It was just that I felt like, I don't know, maybe it was the material that was given who, who could really say, but I, I felt like I wanted a little more. So uh, for me, it was Ozymandias. Um, oh, oh I, yeah, totally. I, yeah, I agree with I, that. Yeah, right. I, I, I think that was the weakest casting. Um, and, and it's not to say he did a bad job. It was just like um, when you're trying to translate the character from the comics, something was lost there. Um, it's hard to describe exactly what. Um, well, but... I think that the, there was a severe misunderstanding with Ozymandias to get back to misunderstandings, because I think that in this he was outwardly just evil the whole way, and there he wasn't did any seem sort very of evil. From it, there the wasn't jet, any from sort of like flip side to that that we got where he was like very. It was like it was kind of clear that it was in his eyes for the greater good, and there was no like success when he when he when everything was said and done. There wasn't that I did it moment, anything like that that we got. In kind the of. I mean. He, I guess there wasn't the, the like the like the triumphant pose, but right? 
you know, we do get the moment where he turns on the TV and you see that the world is sort of uniting and he right. he has like a quiet moment of, of I just mean that like the, the all we get from the character is is just like pondering and like quiet and and you know scheming ominous. and eventually right, yeah, eventually yeah, ominous. Stuff, and yeah. then and then we don't see any sort of like edge to that. I just think it was like pretty one note. Well, and it's like we talked about with the philosophies battling each other, like some of that back and forth was gone. Instead, we got a lot more fisticuffs between them. And, you know what I mean? We got a lot yeah. more physical confrontation and less philosophical conversations going on. Right. So, yeah, let's let's move into Dr. Manhattan, though, because you mentioned it. Um, yeah. What what was it specifically you're asking? Just what did I think overall? Yeah. What did you think of Dr. Manhattan in this movie? I I I think it works for the most part. Um, I think that I I liked some of the attempts to try to play at like what how he was perceiving things and how the the struggles that he was having with his humanity and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think over overall it pretty much worked for me. I think that I would have liked to have seen maybe even more of him struggling with his humanity because it did seem like he was pretty like checked out from the get go. Like it it seemed like he was he didn't really care about humanity at all throughout and like his struggle was there but i don't know there was just so it's, there's so much more of a deeper understanding with the graphic novel in terms of like where he's come from why he wants to hang on to his humanity and like why he ultimately lets it go yeah i mean i guess i agree with that um but i, I think some of the dr manhattan stuff was some of my favorite stuff in the movie so billy crudup i think was uh, was actually a really good casting for this um we talked about him in our jesus's son like an indie film we did uh a while ago and and I think I gave him some some shit for maybe not being perfectly cast as the main character in that film. But I think he's a great Dr. Manhattan. And um, he has to do a very it's it has to be so hard. He's acting through all the CGI. He's he has to do everything very subtly because he's so detached. Um, it's a big ask. And I think he really delivers. And um, that character could have gone really bad, you know, and um, instead, I think it went right. And for the most part, it was some of the strongest material um, and, uh, the, his powers were awe inspiring. Um, you really like, I thought he, he was magnetic and I wanted to, I, it was almost to a detriment to the other characters because the Dr. Manhattan stuff was so engaging. And then he disappears for like 45 minutes in the middle of the movie. And you get a ton of Night Owl and Silk Spectre stuff, and you get Rorschach. And, and, but, like, once you've been introduced with this this amazing character, it's hard to pull back and go to, like, the mundane life of the Night Owl in some ways. And um, in some ways, it works against the movie because he's so compelling. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how they achieved the actual look because this was 2009 yeah. and, you know, they were they were they were able to do a lot of good CGI at that point. But with in, in terms of like per performance, motion capture stuff, normally what they would do in, in this time is they would shoot a scene and it would be filmed with a placeholder instead of the CGI character. So it would sort of they would shoot it without and they would shoot everything else without the CG element. And then they would have somebody do like motion capture on a set on a stage somewhere and like kind of put the two together. But what they did was they they kind of did motion capture on on set with Billy Crudup wearing like a like there was a camera shooting the, what they were actually the, the scene. There was a camera shooting just him for, for kind of reference. And there was a camera on his face for for facial uh, emo emotions and everything like a sort of like, you know, the, the motion capture yeah. rigs that you'll see that are connected to the head with the camera out front. Uh, so they, they had all of that going on. And like you said, he was able to pull off their performance and apparently he, the, what he was wearing was also like a suit with like a bunch of blue lights all over it so that you could kind of get the, the light coming off of him to reacting on the set and on all the yeah. other characters and everything. 
So I think they, they cool. really went for it with the Dr. Manhattan stuff, and I, I thought it was cool to hear. Yeah, and that's a convincing effect, and, and I was going to mention that, too, because I think I had heard somewhere that they added lights to him so that you get that glow on other characters, um, which I think really helps sell that, right? Definitely, yeah. I think that there's there's a reference that I'm wondering if you if you notice. I think it's a reference, at least. I, I noticed it, and I was like, holy shit. So when they're in the bunker, the president's in the bunker, the sort of war room scenario, did you, did you get that as a reference to Dr. Strangelove? Absolutely. In fact, um, I, I scrolled past it in my notes and meant to go back to it. I'm glad you mentioned it, though, because I can't be we can't not mention it because we covered Dr. Strangelove for the podcast not that long ago. And my God, I was like, this is a direct reference to Dr. Strangelove. But the way it looks, the way those characters are interacting with each other and sort of the cavalier nature, they're talking about casualties and and like all oh, the liberals in, in, in Harvard are going to, you know, they won't be able to the last laugh this time. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a blatant one, in my opinion. And and while I appreciated that, I guess, I, I don't know if it was maybe the right thing to do, but I, I was tickled by it. So I don't know. Is that is that a good thing to be tickled by a reference or, or does it I, need to work better I mean, in the movie? <laughs> I think so. I think I, I don't think it was too. Uh, I, I mean, it was very clearly the reference that was being made. But I don't think that it was like in any way like disrespectful or anything like that. I think it was just literally like we're going to have a war room. It happens to take place in like the 80s dealing with like Cold War type things. So maybe it could like be connected to 60s type of Cold War situation. And yeah. it just like I mean, it's been done in tons of other movies before as well. So it's not like it's the first time it's referenced Dr. Strangelove in a war room. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I got a kick out of it. I thought it was fun. It was funny, and and what about that that prosthetic that that actor is wearing to, to the Richard yeah. Nixon nose? It's it's it, it's kind of over exaggerated, I think, and it doesn't necessarily look like a real nose. Sometimes, um, the man had a big nose, sure, but that I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, with age, I think certain body parts like grow, right? Nose, ears. Maybe they're trying to say that like as he got older, things things changed. I mean, it doesn't look it exactly like bill. Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it looks exactly like Nixon, but yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't the best practical effect for, for <laughs> aging up somebody I've ever yeah. seen. Uh, I do want to jump back to the violence. We've talked about kind of like the glorification of violence. We've talked about the superpowers they have, but I wanted to mention like specifically a couple of moments that were sticking out to me. Um, when the Ozymandias uh, attempted assassination happens and like the the woman gets her hand shot off and somebody's leg gets shot and like the bones that are breaking throughout the movie and there's a couple other moments what's another one? Oh, so they like chainsaw a guys arms off at one point it, it's like i understand making something like gory and over the top and crazy but like was that really what the story was was calling for in those situations yeah. like it just feels like it was over over violent it's like i'm fine it with was, it being it was um sort of relishing and um exulting in what it, in the violence it was depicting whereas the, the graphic novel is extremely violent at times, um, and in particular, the end where we see the streets of New York is are running with blood. Like, there's so much carnage, but it's supposed to be sort of disgusting. It's supposed to be off-putting. It's supposed to be appalling, but in a, I agree. In a lot of those scenes, it was more like, how cool can I make this shot look of this hand mm-hmm. exploding, and how cool and would it look at, like, how this knee pops and explodes with blood, and... Yeah, I don't and know. In, in terms of accomplishing something in a in like a stunt situation, like in terms of accomplishing like cool fight scenes and things like that, it's not easy to pull off. So it is cool. It's like an accomplishment, yeah. obviously. 
Um, well, and I liked. This, I, I'm okay with Ozymandias being sort of ninja like. Like he kind of is right. in the in the comics too. And I liked the way he was like du- ducking and diving, and the way he hit the guy was cool. But I agree with the way the bullets were were hitting other characters in that scene was a, mm-hmm. maybe a little. Uh, I don't know, just off tone. I was also I was also jumping to like the jail cell where like I, I just was also going to like the over over like superpowers and things like that as well, where it's like they're fighting their way down a hallway and they're just like wrecking people. Oh, and you're when like, the night owl and, and the silk specter are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're just completely wrecking people. And you're like, the superpowers are just like crazy over the top. And like, it, I don't know, it, it just seems like. It, it starts to lose sort of like any sort of uh, tension because you're just like, they're well, just going to bust their way through And it feels this. a little bit like, hey, we've had a little while without any big action scene, so let's have right. one here. Even and that's it, what I, we don't really care about the people that they're fighting. Like, right. I think that's something that is a problem in a lot of Zack Snyder movies is like action without stakes often just doesn't really matter. And right. it's just action for action's sake. And in those those situations, that is never going to be as interesting as a uh, a scene where the action is loaded with stakes or with consequence or what have you, right? Right, and I think that like that's what that's what I was trying to say with sort of like although it didn't necessarily fit with what we were trying to maybe represent the stunts. I don't think you can say that like that it's like you know it's still hard to pull off those those fight scenes are still you know, stunts being coordinated and, and people having to pull it off with a camera in motion and everything. So it's like, it, it is, it is like a cool and interesting thing to look at. But like you said, without stakes, it kind of takes away some of the bite. Yeah. No, I mean, it looks, it looks good. Like you watch that, ac- if you were to take that action scene, lift it from the movie and show it to someone and say, what do you think of this action scene? Does it look cool? They're probably going to say yes. But that doesn't mean that in this in the context of the story that it, it is this iconic scene that you're going to remember. In fact, it feels kind of more like a throwaway scene. Yeah. So I, I think here we can move into sort of some of the end game stuff. I do have some some kind of production stuff that I have notes on okay. here. But we, I think we should talk about the ending and how it's different and yeah. some of the other things. Because that's kind of a big thing that people talk about. Major change. That's the biggest change, I think. And I'm, I'm very curious about what your thoughts are on it. But yeah, essentially, we see Dr. Manhattan return, just like he does in the graphic novel, confront Ozymandias. And then the reveal is that his plan is to have multiple devices, it seems like, detonate across the globe with an energy signature that is going to essentially frame Dr. Manhattan for these events so that humanity unites against Dr. Manhattan as a common foe instead of the Lovecraftian squid psychic horror that is unleashed in the graphic novel, which on the surface seems sillier. Um, I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, so I don't know. What what was your thoughts on that change? Because uh, I guess I'm not 100% either way. Yeah. So I am ultimately... And look, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a typical audience member when it comes to stuff like this, but like I just love weird stuff. I love interesting, unique, weird stuff. And if you can make it make sense within the story, that's exactly what I would like out of a story. So when the the squid shows, psychic squid shows up in the in the graphic novel, and because of the teleportation, the the brain explodes and everybody dies. Uh, that's so. And 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 in terms, so multiple things. I think it's really cool. I think it works really well. It's interesting and unique. First off, uh, in, secondly, in what in the graphic novel, and yeah. but but that's with the squid specifically. So so the other thing with the squid is it's very specifically a an alien attack, um, and I, I in terms of understanding where everything's coming together here, 
we are supposed to see what has been set up in the movie as an American weapon, an American asset with Dr. Manhattan attacking multiple points throughout the world. Uh, supposedly, you know, it's it's obviously Ozymandias who's doing it. But if if that's the way the rest of the world is thinking of it, why would they be okay with being attacked by an American weapon, even if the American weapon attacked America itself? How like why would they think to be like, oh, it's okay? Now? I think it's a valid question. Um, I think that's why you say you see him target, you know, New York City and L.A. and places like that because the the carnage would be so significant that you couldn't look at America and say, well, you didn't, you know what I mean? Like you didn't suffer as much as us. Like it's bad. So maybe, maybe the expectation is that everyone would, would, would unite against it regardless. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's, it's easier to sell, although maybe harder to sell the audience on it. It would be easier to sell people on an alien, an invasion uniting the world rather than one specific superpowered person who'd been controlled by America up to that point going off the handle and doing things. I don't know. Ultimately, it kind of achieves the same thing, but I think that the alien thing specifically makes it more clear that, like, everyone would come together if there was an alien attack, whereas, like, this kind of leaves it a little murkier for, for me personally. So I'm of two minds, because so, on one hand, I agree, um, and on one hand, I love the weirdness of the graphic novel. Um, it, it went somewhere I never expected it to go. I'll give him that. Um, but on the other hand, I do like the idea of involving our characters more and giving giving Dr. Manhattan another reason to leave, which he does at the end. Um, and and framing him forces him to sort of uh, in like a sort of a Christ like way um, become a martyr and say, I'll live with all of humanity thinking I did this. Because I know that it's for the better, for it's for their own good, and it will help preserve a peace. I'm I'm okay with that, and so in a lot of sense, like it works storytelling wise. I will say, however, Bubastis is a big mistake in my opinion. If you are not going to go the psychic squid route, because as a story beat, that pet by Ozymandias represents his ability to make these crazy hybrid creatures, and you have him present in the film, but it's never explained. What is that creature? Why does it look like that? What the hell is the point of it? And then it goes and then it dies and it's never explained. And it's and instead it's this huge, like weird moment that no one gets unless you've read the graphic novel because it's supposed to just be an Easter egg, I guess, but it's too striking. And, um, in the graphic novel, it works perfectly because it sets up the idea of the squid, right? Like it, it prepares us for this technology, in in the movie, it's a completely dangling thread that goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just built into his character at that point. They were like, he's got to be in it because he's in the graphic novel. Um, yeah, they just wanted they wanted to look the same because it looked cool. But if you take that, if you put that pet there, it it actually served a storytelling function in the graphic novel that no longer is present in the movie. So yeah. it's just it's just tricky, and and I think. Um, I don't think it was handled particularly well. So I think that that beast, I remember when I saw it in the movie, it raised a million questions. What is that? Why does he have it? Why is it? Why does he care about it? What is, you know, I, I had a hundred questions about that thing that then get vaporized and then nothing comes of it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So anyway, I don't know. So like I said, I'm of two minds. I'm going to be really curious with the HBO adaptation. Do they go with the, oh, there once was a giant alien squid that killed all these people, or do they go with the Dr. Manhattan supposedly, punitively, I guess, punished humanity by exploding a bunch of cities? 
um, which I guess is the the um, understanding of it. Because the I don't think you can I don't think you can play it both ways. Like you, they're going to have to make a decision. And yeah. um, from what I understood, it was going to be more authentic to the graphic novel. But narratively, in a lot of ways, the the Doctor Manhattan thing actually makes more sense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because it, it, yeah, I hadn't really thought of what specific because I had thought we were just going to go with a graphic novel ending and we were going to push off of that. But I guess in terms of having the audience on board, how do you explain that easily and efficiently without it being like, what is happening? What happened? Yeah. Well, because we see in the trailer, I think like there's like masks for Dr. Manhattan and stuff. So it seems to me like humanity likes Dr. Manhattan. And if humanity likes Dr. Manhattan, then that's probably not the movie version because I guess there are the villain. Yeah. I guess there are ways that you could have like Dr. Manhattan prove that like i guess not proving i don't know i don't know there's a couple of things in the trailers that i don't know if i should mention in terms of relating it yet because i don't want to spoil it if people don't want to know but i i do wonder if we'll get some sort of explaining away of if it was one way or the other you know like like because very clearly i think that dr manhattan's going to have a role in this i don't think he's probably gonna have a huge role and there's one specific person who's been cast that i think is a specific maybe maybe season one season two you know i don't know yeah and there's somebody who's been cast that is really important to all this stuff as well um or at least i think that that's who this person is playing so I, i don't know i don't i think we should we should try to speculate at a future time or something I do want to say one thing about the the HBO series before we we finish up here. Uh, Jeremy Irons, I believe, yeah. plays Ozymandias. That's well. That's um, what I didn't want to say. That's I'm pretty why not? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's in the trailers. I think it's fine. Well, so I think that with that being the case, I think that what else does Ozymandias have to play a, po- a role in this other than the big secret that he holds? Well, he's also the most powerful man in the world. You would assume in this ultra rich yeah, guy that's who true. who yeah. who knows what he's up to these days. But yeah. I just want to. Come, I don't know what he's going to do. But I am. I everything that I have my doubts about the the casting for this movie, I do not have for Jeremy Irons. I can. I just from what I've seen from Jeremy Irons, he is the perfect person to play Ozymandias. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that that nails it immediately. He should have played <laughs> Ozymandias in the film adaptation too. I would have taken that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> honestly, like he, but, uh, he is such a good person for that. This character. is. I guess this is this is my one question that I would pose. Do you think that we get any sort of like? Oh, because I'm assuming we're gonna get some homages or some sort of way of telling another sort of psychic squid something really weird and crazy i think that that because it was left out of the film adaptation and because of the reaction to that i feel like we'll see some something like that in this series uh i am so excited because damon lindelof is a creator who continues to shock and amaze me and do things that i never predict just look at the leftovers some of the stuff that happens in that series um and yeah i i, I wouldn't put anything past him you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. maybe it is Psychic Squid. If anyone can pull it off, it's him. Um, I, I, you know, maybe I'll be wrong and maybe I'll dis- be disappointed. Um, but uh, I am I have a lot of confidence in him as a uh, as a, as a showrunner. And I am beyond excited for this show. So ultimately, like, I feel like we, we talked a lot of bad about it, this this movie here. Um, I think we tried to say some good things as well, because I definitely mm-hmm. overall really enjoyed watching the movie. I really enjoyed the, the, the experience overall together. Uh, I do want to say a couple of things about like Alan Moore and his reaction to the films and, and some oh, of that kind of stuff that I really I didn't read any of that. Okay. So obviously we've talked about Alan Moore just like across the board disavows every, anything that comes out based yeah, on his, all his adaptations work. basically. But, 
I have a couple of things to read here that are kind of interesting and just I, I don't know what to make of them specifically, but I think that it'll be cool for the listener to form formulate what you think of these on your own. So as Alan Morris sold the movie rights to his first few volumes when he was young and naive, he regrets this specifically for Watchmen. When asked in an interview with ReelsChannel.com about Moore's dismissal of the movie, Zack Snyder was quoted as saying, worst case scenario, Alan puts the movie on his DVD player on a cold Sunday in London and watches and says, yeah, that doesn't suck too bad. When this was brought up to Moore himself in a later interview in the British Tripwire comics fanzine, the writer commented, that's the worst case scenario. I think he's underestimated what the worst case scenario would be. That's never going to happen in my DVD player in London, in quotations, because Moore very famously lives in Northampton. Ooh. Which is pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, goes on to say, I'm never going to watch this fucking thing. Reportedly on another occasion, a better tempered Moore said that it's probably a good movie in its own right, but he is indifferent to movies based on his work. Still, Snyder has said that his ultimate hope is that someday Moore will actually see the film and feel it to be a decent representation of the graphic novel. <laughs> uh, I mean, good luck pleasing that guy. Clearly, he's yeah. he's uh, he's not he's not into it. You know what I mean? I think he would agree with my quote I read earlier. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like he just wants his graphic novel to be the only version of this thing that, that exists. And you know what? Uh, I don't I don't feel that way about art. I and I wouldn't feel that way. I don't think about something I made, but. Um, I haven't been to that situation yet, so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I will feel differently if I get there, but, uh, I give him, I give him credit for sticking to his guns and having, uh, having, uh, having a clear thing that he feels about his own art and that it shouldn't be, uh, put into anyone else's hands and that he wants supreme control over it. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that at the end of the day, like you're free to feel however you want to feel. And like, I was talking, like I was saying before, you know, if you want to idolize Rorschach, go ahead and do that. I just don't know if it's necessarily the healthiest thing to do. Right. Well, I mean, and like we talked all about how the way that, the, 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 you know, these characters are shitting on liberals and stuff. And like, if it's not obvious, like we are liberals. <laughs> and um, so whenever they're, they're saying that stuff, it's making us cringe. Right. When they're like railing against homosexuals and, 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 you know, prostitutes and like, you know, all that stuff, like it goes against a lot of my worldviews. You know what I mean? Like I, and and so for me, every time I hear this stuff, it makes me go, wait a minute, I don't know if I should be rooting for this character, right. but not everybody's going to feel that way. And some people it's going to line up perfectly with the way they feel. And, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's it, in that sense, it's like a true uh, work of art that is open for interpretation, right? Like, obviously, I'm going to have a different experience reading this than someone else uh, on the other political on the other side of the political spectrum. So or, or watching this movie. Um and and that's okay. I think art can can it doesn't have to take a stand. It can it can just show something and say like, look how fucked up this world is. Look at the way these people think. Do you agree with it or do you not? Or do you see that this has led to some of these problems or do you think it's something else? And, and, and I think it asks questions. It gives it asks more questions than it gives answers. I guess. In a lot of in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I I yeah. I like the idea of something. You, you know, you can view it from a different perspective and maybe it changes your, your perspective on things. And yeah. I think that's ultimately a lot of what story story is to me or what, what it means to me is ultimately life is just stories. Everything we do is a story eventually. And like, you know, um, I think that story is the best way to have different perspectives and kind of like live many different lives. So I don't know. I hope that people read it. And maybe if they do agree with some of that stuff, they start to think like, wait, maybe I don't agree with it. Like maybe Rorschach says something that is more liberal or something. And they agree with that because they like the character. I don't know. 
Hopefully people get whatever. What about this? Your your identity is a story about yourself that you tell to yourself. Wait, I can yeah. probably say that in a way that's uh, a little more <laughs> eloquent. But you know what I mean, right? No, like, I like it. Yeah, I like your you, story you... of your life and who you are as a person. Your identity is just a story that you're telling yourself because there's nothing that says it has to be true in the next moment. You could completely change everything about your identity if you wanted to. Right. Um, it might be hard to do, but you could theoretically do it. But instead, you you stay because you say, "Oh, I'm this sort of person. I believe these sorts of things. I mm-hmm. I I am someone who likes this thing and doesn't like this thing." Those are all stories we're telling about ourselves, right? Um, and and so yeah, I mean, we're getting way into the weeds here about stories. So I, to me, that signals that we're running out of steam on this on this movie. Um, so right, I think two, we should we should move into our end game here. <laughs> all right, let's do it. I got two little things I have to read. Um, okay. So during the opening credits, when Ozzy Mendez is Outside Studio 54, actors representing the following people appear. The village people on the right and David Bowie slash Ziggy's Stardust leaning on a car with Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. Ozymandias reaches for Bowie to shake his hand after he turns from the cameras. So I couldn't have David Bowie be in a movie and not shout him out. <laughs> not reference it. Okay. Because that's my that's I my didn't app. catch that or I didn't identify it that that's who that was supposed to it's be. Actually, it's actually cool because there's a lot of these little uh, historical moments that are in that montage. Um, yeah. There's like... Uh, silhouette kissing the nurse on uh uh yeah no i did i did pick up that one silhouette kisses the nurse and like kind of like leans her over in the same way taking the place of the um sailor in a in one you know a famous world war ii famous photo, photo right um, yeah, yeah. with a sailor and the, apparently the sailor is like in the background that was like in in our version of the events the sailor that would kiss this this nurse um a lot of like really cool things happen in that Sally, the pro- Sally the protests Jupiter, right yes with the, with the with the flower right exactly that's like another famous photo with the putting the flower on the in a gun barrel yeah that's what you're talking about right yeah yeah exactly yeah i'm just gonna rattle off some of these other things uh sally jupiter's retirement party recreates the last supper the way that yeah. she's like well, standing and yeah looking that was very blatant right. i was curious about that too like i that was one for me that i was like it maybe it was too it went too far like to where almost i was like well where are they staging this for a photo op or something because right. this is too blatant <laughs> like this this is not not really happen <laughs> unless you're yeah. trying to do it <laughs> yeah and like what is it really saying like is it saying that like cuz like if well i'd be curious to see who judas is and that i'd have to go back and look at it cuz right. usually that's an important thing to note if you're if you're mimicking the last supper where's judas you know the exactly. stand in for judas which character is judas is it ozymandias yeah. is he in there maybe Oh, that yeah. I mean, if it is that, that really works. Or I was thinking the comedian because of like what happens. But I guess if she was retiring, so it would have already happened. The the rape would have already happened, or yeah. the attempted rape, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember. I'd have to look at a still of it. So anyway, those are like some cool little things that were threaded in there. Whether they had a huge significance or not, I think it's cool that there were like there was more thought put into it other than just a shot of this. In the, no, in this that montage is great. I, I yeah. honestly, I just love, I unabashedly love it. Yep. Last thing I find really funny, Ozymandias is, uh his suit is deliberately modeled after the infamous bat suit featured in Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin with the bat nipples. Like very specifically, it's why? been said that it was like a parody. <laughs> it was like a parody or like a satire of of that. I don't know why, but I read I don't that think that was, was a like, good idea. I didn't like the way it looked, honestly. Yeah. It looked too silly to me. Like it needed, yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't like it. Yeah. So well, raining on another thing I didn't like. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. As you guys could probably tell listening to this, I think we're both kind of all over the place with it. Yeah, and I still don't know how I really feel about this movie, you know? Like, right. It's, it's just such a mixed bag. 
But um, I do like like I was saying before, I do think I'll watch it again soon. Like I I think I will yeah. have watched it again eventually, and I and maybe revisit the the graphic novel at the same time because I, I know I for me really I'm going it. to be recommending this graphic novel to people, and oh, yeah. I don't know that I'm going to be recommending the movie, but yeah. I I. I was blown away with the graphic novel and that's my main takeaway from this project is if you ha- if you like this movie at all and you haven't read the graphic novel do yourself a favor pick that thing up cuz it Definitely. is good and it is it is a uh, superior version of this of this story um yeah. it, because it's the originator. <laughs> all right, we've brought it full circle now. We've got we've got blood on the smiley face. Um I think we've 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 linked it all together, right? Um we should talk maybe a little bit about our plans with this HBO series. Um, we have, I think we've, we've, we've danced around the concept of covering it as, as like a series of episodes or something. And as much as I would love to, because it is a, we've talked about, we're both very excited for it, but ultimately it's not a direct adaptation. And so it would be stretching the realm, the, the bounds of our podcast, I think to cover it. So what I think we're going to do is we're going to instead cover other more direct adaptations that are coming out around the same times. So we're freeing up slots for that. So, you know, it's not like you're not getting episodes. You will be getting some. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do is we're going to save our reaction to season one of the new Watchmen series as I think a bonus episode for our patrons um, at some point in the future after the entire season is over with. Um, I, you know, I, I, we could potentially change that if, you know, if there's like a high demand or something. So let us know if you really don't like that, I guess. But I think that's the way we're going to go with it just because it doesn't really feel like the, the main focus of our podcast is to, is to do these like new follow-up adaptations that are happening 30 years in the future. It's just not really what we do. So I don't know. What do you, what, what do you think, James? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm really excited to watch the show and, and like, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be watching it week to week. And so there, to not have something for the podcast, I feel like would be doing it a disservice. So to do it as a bonus episode, I'm really excited for. Um, so if that excites you, maybe think about becoming a patron and helping out the podcast. Like one of our patrons, Kelsey R. We really yep. appreciate your support. And uh, new patron. If, new patron also. Yeah. So if you wanted to yeah. also become a patron uh, and help the podcast continue in its current form and help us improve, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and check out our options. Absolutely. And make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, adding to film on all three. We're also on Goodreads. Uh, we have a book club on there. So follow us all over the place. It's a good way to connect with us um, and interact with us talking about the projects that we all love. So make sure to check that out. And something I just thought about is just um, if you're a fan of Alan Moore stuff, I'm sure that we'll be covering more of that in the future as well. Because that's a good point. The v for Vendetta, V for Vendetta, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There's a lot of stuff that he's. I mean, even like the Killing Joke, we could think about doing in some capacity. Uh, so if you're if you're into this, let us know, and and uh, we'd love to cover more of it in the future. Yeah, let us know which Alan Moore project you want to see, because there are a lot of them, and we'd be excited to hear. Um, yeah, and if you wanted to support the podcast in a way that doesn't cost you anything, ratings and reviews are our lifeblood, and giving them to us, you know, across whatever platform you use, um, especially if it's on iTunes, since that's one of our biggest platforms. Um, that helps out so much. Doesn't cost you anything other than a few seconds or maybe a minute of your time, and we would greatly appreciate it. We wanted to thank AOE for the use of our intro and outro music, and thank you to Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. All right, man. I think that's time to put a cap on this Watchmen coverage. Uh, we do want to announce our next project. Uh, it's coming up here. It's October. It's the spooky season, and it's time to get into a little more horror. So we're returning to the king. We're returning. We're going back to the well. 
and we are going to be covering Dr. Sleep uh, in advance of the movie coming out next month. We're going to start our way into the novel. We're going to be covering the first half of the novel of Dr. Sleep for our following episode. So make sure you come back next week for that. Uh, hopefully all you Stephen King fans will be happy and, and excited for this as we are. Um, yeah, we hope you join us for that. I can't wait. I just, like I said last time, I don't know what to expect. I actually may have said that in our, in our, uh, in our reading prompt. So, I mean, I don't know what to expect. I'm really excited. What are we going to get? I know Danny's in it. That's all I know. So here we go. <laughs> right. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.